Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, November 8th. I'm Ashley Norwood filling in for Karen Brown. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a U.S. congressional hearing on the Mississippi ice raids is held at Tougaloo College. We'll hear from Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson and others. And after a school's computer system is hijacked with ransomware, find out how you can protect your devices at work and at home. Plus, experts say a simple quiz could help save your life from lung cancer. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Mississippi congressman is collecting information about a series of immigration enforcement raids during a congressional hearing in Jackson. Seven Mississippi-based poultry plants were raided and nearly 700 people arrested in August. Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson chairs the House Committee on Homeland Security. During yesterday's testimony, he questioned Jerry Miles from Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE. Miles has the agency's Homeland Security Investigations team. We've edited together some of the more captivating moments from the questioning. So, Mr. Miles, uh, what does the policy for ICE say about notification? To be honest with you, Mr. Chairman, we don't have a policy that says we're obligated to notify anyone. Did you contact the Scott County Sheriff's Department? Never said I did, sir. But I did wait, say wait, wait, hold, but, but oh, we did wait say now. we contacted no, hold, hold on, the, the school districts. Now, uh, I'll ask the question. You just okay. answer. All right. So, did you contact the Scott County Sheriff's Department? Uh, no, sir. We did not. Thank you. But we did contact the school districts. Did you contact the Madison County School District? Yes, sir. Assistant Superintendent Ellen Argood. What about the Canton School District? Canton's doesn't seem to pee on here. I, it seems like we only contacted county school districts. So if I told you that Pico Foods was located in the Canton School District. Then I would say it was an oversight. It was an oversight. That's correct. Okay, but you did not contact them. At, on the list that I have, there's no reflection of a Canton School District well, so being contacted. What social service agencies did you contact? We didn't contact any social service agencies, but it was my understanding that the United States Attorney's Office spoke to someone in the social service agency, but I don't remember their name. Who told you that? The United States Attorney. Who? The United States yes, Attorney? Yes, sir. The United States Attorney. He was in our office in Jackson, Mississippi during the day of the raid, the same as me, all day so long. He told you he talked to somebody, mm -hmm. but you don't know who. I don't remember the name. I, I don't remember the name that he gave me. So have you gotten any uh, information about the companies who had the individuals employed? I'm sorry, what do you mean? You performed the worksite raids. No, sir, I did. We did eight criminal search warrants. 
Okay. You, and, were, you were there. And you, and you asked me if I got any information about the companies. In my testimony, I entered that we seized 850,000 documents and we seized 22 terabytes of information. That is not needed to prove that people are here illegally, sir. What is needed if you say that is not needed? That is, that is our investigation against the other, uh, the other allegations in the investigation. What other allegations? The, the one that you keep alluding to, sir, whether we're investigating a company or not. I'm just trying to get to the information. And now, I'll ask the questions, and I hope you be civil with your response. I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, you're not doing too good. So, so, so are you insinuating I'm lying? Well, because no, I, I'm saying you're not responding. I didn't say you were a lie. No, and so, you asked me what, you asked no, me what look, we got there, sir, and I told you what we uh, got there. I got 850,000 documents. Now, look, I'll ask the questions, okay. and, and you just answer only when you ask the question. Okay. No editorializing. Okay, thank you. That's special agent in charge, Jerry Miles, answering questions from Congressman Benny Thompson in Jackson yesterday. After the hearing, Miles told reporters there's more to the raise than he was allowed to say in the hearings. Anytime that a complaint comes into us that a parent hasn't been reunited or there's a child out there that doesn't have the care of their parents, we deal with that immediately. One of the things that didn't come out in this uh, hearing here was the day of the raid, I was in contact with the Mexican consulate and the Guatemalan concept all day long. Every one of their complaints about people being separated, people being mistreated, anything that came in, I dealt with immediately and pushed it to my people, and we started trying to figure out where people were at, what did we need to do to fix the problem. Miles answers a common concern, which is that only low-income migrant workers were arrested. So far, no company officials have been held accountable. It's a criminal investigation, and what we keep trying to tell people is, look, a criminal investigation for us takes a very long period of time because we have to show that the, the employer has knowledge, okay? It's not, it's not as simple as, hey, there's 500 immigrants that are working here, ergo you're in violation of the law. The other issue is, I keep saying this to people, there were 400 workers in there with stolen Social Security numbers, so the employer didn't even know they weren't legitimate people, not on the paperwork. That's what caused us the problem as to trying to determine who was illegal, who wasn't illegal, because they were running with other identities. So we have, to, we have to go through all of that, and then we have to collect enough evidence that says this employer knew this was happening, and we continue with our investigation, and it, it could last months. I special agent in charge, Jerry Miles. After the hearing, Chairman Benny Thompson spoke with our Desiree Frazier. In light of the raids we had in August and the impact it had on communities in my district and adjoining district, I felt... Uh, that it was important that members of the committee and the public at large saw what impacts, negative, positive, or otherwise, they had. And from what I heard this morning, uh, those raids really traumatized those communities. Uh, children separated from families, businesses uh, on the verge of closing, uh, law enforcement ignored. Uh, in terms of not knowing that uh, uh, ICE was coming in, and just the over-the-top approach uh, that ICE took uh, on locking people up, not having translators, uh, women, uh, some who had recently had children and were breastfeeding, would not allow uh, compassionate release. And so... We are a better country than that. 
And so I think it's important from an oversight standpoint that the public understand exactly what we're dealing with. And what you heard from our witnesses uh, is that impact when raids occur. Uh, those impacts are long-term, not just for the immediacy. Uh, we have some kids who are still having psychological problems. We have adults who are reluctant to come outdoors. Uh, and again, uh, some of these uh, immigrants have been in communities 20 years. So they are no strangers to the community. And, and uh, I think the Trump administration's reinterpretation of policy uh, is creating this uh, dilemma that we're dealing with. What did you think of Mr. Miles' response to your concerns and questions? He's with ICE. Well, you know, he has a job to do. Uh, I think uh, I thought he was a little thin-skinned by uh, trying to answer questions that weren't asked. But uh, he has a job to do. I understand that. But our job as members of Congress is to make sure that in the performance of his job, he does it adequately and, and professionally. And so the question of notification of local authorities is really important. The questions of cooperation uh, with local authorities is important. The question of what you do when children are involved is important. The question of uh, you got 680 people locked up and 11 phones. So that means that it'll probably be a day or two before some people have access to a phone. And then you find out some of the people uh, speak a language that nobody uh, in ICE speaks. So what are you going to do with those? So for him to say this was an 18-month operation, uh, there were just too many steps uh, that went missing uh, uh, that says that 18 months wasn't enough. Congressman Benny Thompson with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up after a Mississippi school's computer system is hijacked with ransomware, find out how you can protect your devices at work and at home. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood filling in for Karen Brown. Computers in the Lincoln County School District have fallen victim to ransomware. That's when a computer virus is used to encrypt your files, keeping them out of your hands until a ransom is paid. The FBI is working with the school district to solve the issue. Michelle Sutfin is the special agent in charge of the FBI in Jackson. She gave MPB's Kobe Vance some advice for anyone caught up in a ransomware attack. Ransomware is a type of malware or a malicious software that blocks access to a computer system. So basically it locks people's computers down um, until they pay the ransom, which at that turn they would get an encryption key or a de-encryption key to unlock it so they can access their files. What would the benefit be of going the legal route and filing uh, filing a report or just paying the ransom? That's two different things. So filing a report is necessary so law enforcement, local and federal, is able to identify um, criminal groups that are working together because generally a ransomware isn't just hitting one person. The ransomware is probably doing a shotgun effect and, and trying to target as many people as they can that have vulnerabilities, either through you know, human error of clicking on a, a phishing attempt email or through a vulnerability in their system. 
But by reporting that, that gives law enforcement the capability of looking into that and starting to identify the criminal enterprises that are actually working together um, toward you know, conducting these types of acts against people. So are these types of attacks, why do they happen? What's the, uh, what's the goal behind them? Well, I think the reason they happen is because it's profitable. Um, you've got a lot of these people out there that if they do that, they send a ransomware attack and somebody, you know, becomes victim to that. Um, the people, people want to get their information back. They need to get it back. If it's a person, you've got your photos, you've got your files, you've got things on there that, that's on your computer that you need. And so, unfortunately, people are willing to pay that in order to get that stuff back. If it's a big organization, like it's a school or it's a hospital or if it's some sort of a department or a, a big company, you know, they've got a lot to lose as well. And so, you know, there's a chance that they, they may have to pay or they're going to pay because they can't afford the downtime. So it's profitable for the bad guys. It's, it's an easy way to get people to give them money because people feel like they have to in order to get their information back. What should schools and businesses and even citizens be aware of in the, going in the future? How can they stop these types of attacks from happening on their systems? In order to, be, to not be vulnerable to these types of attacks, things like updating their operating systems. So anytime you get an email or you get an update on your phone or your computer that says, you know, you've got a, a new update on your operating system, you should upload that and do that as soon as possible because what they're doing is they're filling they're, they've provided a patch to a vulnerability in their operating system and if that oh, if there's a vulnerability these types of actors can get into your system and actually put the software on your computer which is going to or your phone which is going to lock out your files if you update your operating system you're eliminating some of those those vulnerabilities you have same goes with your apps your browsers, things like that, the things that you're using on a regular basis. We all are victim to the easy access of thing and having apps for whatever the reason is. Update those. Maintain those. As soon as that, that update comes out of that patch, make sure that you're uploading that and getting your system secure again. Because generally when they do that, if there's a vulnerability that's identified and the software company needs to put a patch on it, as soon as they've identified that vulnerability, within you know 48 hours or so, the bad guys have figured out how to, how to defeat or how to get into the system through that vulnerability. Make sure your virus software is updated. A lot of us get our computers and it comes with the first year of a free software or a free software for antivirus. Make sure that you're staying up with that. Go ahead and, and keep that updated so that that's also protecting you from the vulnerabilities. And more importantly, if you're a company, a big company, if you're a school, if you're a hospital, if you're whatever it is, have a backup on your system, even personally, if you can do a backup on your computer. The catch on that is, and we see this time and time again, is that people will have a backup for their system so they have their data secured. The problem is they keep it connected to their main system. Well, once that malware goes into effect and somebody puts the ransomware on there, it's also locked down your backup unless you have it separate. So get into things like taking, you know, planning a schedule every Tuesday morning, every Wednesday or whatever the schedule would be, that you do the backup and then separate and disconnect your backup from your main system so that if they do make the attack on it, you can easily just restore all the data that you had from your backup. But if it's not separate, it's going to probably get locked down as well. Michelle Sutphin of the FBI with MPB's Colby Vance. Coming up, experts say a simple quiz could help save your life from lung cancer. Learn more next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood filling in for Karen Brown. 
Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the country. And according to the American Lung Association, lung cancer claims more lives than breast, colon, and prostate cancer combined. But detecting lung cancer early could save your life. Dr. Jacob Sands is a spokesperson for the American Lung Association. He says a low-dose screening test is used to detect lung cancer early. He spoke with us along with cancer survivor Millie Wilson. Lung cancer claims more lives than breast, colon, and prostate combined. Um, and uh, that's because people don't really have symptoms from it initially. So by the time it is detected, it's often late stage, uh, stage four disease, and, and we've really lost the opportunity to cure it. So by doing lung screening, we're really trying to, to capture that much earlier, and we can d- uh, diagnose this when it's early stage and potentially curable. Is the number one cause smoking? Well, smoking is absolutely a risk factor uh, for getting lung cancer. And so there have been broad campaigns about helping people to quit. Um, But those who have smoked are at higher risk, and therefore in this group that qualifies for lung screening and, and can get the scan that really can diagnose this early and save their life. Before we talk about the screening, I'd like to bring Millie into the conversation. Millie, you are a survivor of lung cancer. When did you discover you had it? It was discovered in May of 2018. In April of 2018, I had the uh, low-dose CT scan um, after being, well, after going on to SaveByTheScan.org and pretty much doing a self-screening by taking that quiz, uh, I found out I qualified for the low-dose CT scan. Did you have an idea that that there was a problem? No, none whatsoever. I had zero symptoms. I did um, smoke. I had smoked for 45 years. I also had um, my mother who had lung cancer and passed away, a brother who had lung cancer and passed away. So I met all of the criteria to have that scan done, my age, my smoking history, and, and all of those things. What was the stage you were diagnosed at? I was actually diagnosed at stage one. It was caught early enough where my life pretty much was saved. I will not be dying of lung cancer anytime soon, Karen. Well, that's a put it that way. That's a great future for you. <laughs> and, and, and Karen, to that point, actually, so about only about eighteen percent of lung cancers in Mississippi are diagnosed in early stage. And with lung screening, uh, the, the, number, the percentage of cancers in a lung screening program that are diagnosed early is flipped. So it's about 80% of lung cancers are diagnosed early. That's a huge difference from about 20% to about 80% of people getting diagnosed early. And when it's early, we really have an opportunity to cure it. Dr. Sands, tell us about the quiz that might lead someone to, to then be screened. Yeah, and people can go to savebythescan.org to take that quiz, and more than 300,000 people across the country have taken that quiz. And, of course, this campaign is to really expand that much bigger. Um, But people can go there and plug in their information. Essentially, it's between the ages of 55 and 80, last cigarette within the last 15 years, and then there's a smoking history component that people can People can plug that in at SaveByTheScan.org to find out if they qualify. And then how does the screening itself take place? What does it involve? It's just a CT scan. Uh, And all that entails is you go into radiology, and you don't even have to disrobe. You lay on this table. The table is pushed through uh, a donut-shaped machine, 
you're told to hold your breath, and then they take you out of the machine and send you on your way. It's an easy-peasy way to ensure that you may have some longevity in your life. Millie, what did your treatment entail? Initially, I had surgery to remove the right upper lobe. That's where the mass was located. Once they excised that, and that kept me in stage one. But to ensure that the cancer had not metastasized to any other parts of my body, I agreed to have three doses of chemotherapy. And the last dose that I had was in October of 2018, and I have been clear of cancer since. I've had several follow-up scans to determine that I do not have cancer any longer. Do you have any idea at this point how this campaign is going? More than 300,000 people have gone to the website and taken the quiz uh, at SavedByTheScan.org, but we want to reach far more. If everybody who qualified got this scan done, we would save 48,000 lives per year. And again, the website? It is SavedByTheScan.org. Well, we thank Dr. Jacob Sands, who's a thoracic medical oncologist, and Millie Wilson, a lung cancer survivor. Congratulations, Millie, and we, can, we wish you the best of health in your future as well. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.